Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So, Lorraine, we have plumbed the depths of culinary foulness this week in my house. My son has invented the most disgusting sandwich... Which I don't think you could even make it up if you tried. Do you want to have a have a go? Some random on, things in the fridge. It, so okay, I right. can put it on Instagram for everybody. Right. Toasted bagel with from the fridge, some cold spaghetti Disgusting. and katsu sauce. Oh no. <laughs> oh, I can't even think about it. I that. know. And he was really proud of himself for inventing that. And I just thought What's he called it? What's what, he called it? Well, I don't bagel, know. Katsu. Bagel and Latsu. Katsu. Latsu. Latsu. A horror. Oh, a horror. My son's sandwich story this week, yeah. another teenage boy. So I have to make him pack lunch. Um, and he came home and he said, listen, Morag, which is what he calls me. He said, I know, I know what you've done. I know what you did today and I mm. and stop it. And I've put a stop to it. Apparently, I put some lettuce oh. in his sandwich. <laughs> Terrible said, crime. Yeah, he said, I've taken that out, so don't do it again. I don't want any of your sneaky culinary ways, he said. Always <laughs> <None laughs> in food. food. Oh, horror. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Trish Halpin. And I'm Lorraine Candy, and we're on a mission to help you make the most of your magnificent midlife. We'll be tackling everything from mind and body wellness to HRT and your sex drive. Trish and I are here to help you have a stylish second act and answer all your midlife questions on fashion, beauty, careers, relationships, family, and as always, the challenges and joys of parenting teens. So before we get stuck into this week's episode, I think we should take a moment, my friend, to give you a big old pat on the back for the success of your book. You are at number nine in the Sunday Times bestseller list for nonfiction. Woohoo! It's quite exciting, isn't it? Mm. I want to thank all the lovely mums, lots of the lovely mums on our Facebook group and our Instagram, actually, who bought it for themselves and for their friends as mm-hmm. gifts to other mums. So it was been, it's been quite a time, hasn't it? Because mm. we gave a little talk at the Primrose Hill lecture series, didn't we? The we two did. shortest women in <laughs> podcasting together on, on a stage, stage in a church. It was very nice. And that's, that's the first time we've been together for some yes. time as well, isn't it? We were very excited about that. So, yeah, and you've done the Wimbledon Literary Festival. You've done all sorts of things. You've been out and about been, gallivanting yeah. with your book. Uh, yeah. yeah, excellent. Well, listen, I'm glad you're owning your success because this week we're going to be talking about why women fall into the trap of being self-deprecating in our jibber-jabber section. We are indeed. Now, this came about actually as an email from a listener who pulled us up on it when we didn't take a compliment from the very fabulous Elizabeth Hurley that, Uh, she gave us on a recent episode so we thought it would be quite a good topic to explore Um, and we do really love hearing from you actually because we get lots of ideas from our listeners um, and we really like your feedback as well so you can email us um, 
directly hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com or on messages on our private Facebook group. Now, Trish or I read these personally. Mm-hmm. So um, do stay in touch and send us your thoughts. Yeah. And if you haven't joined the Facebook group, all you need to do when you go on there is answer three questions. And there is a reason why we have the questions on there, which you need to answer in order to just be allowed into the group. And we ask your age and sex, what you'd like to get out of the group and contribute to it. And finally, there's a set of rules we ask members to agree to which are essentially being kind and supportive of each other yeah it is important that you answer the questions because this is a group for women talking about very personal things which is why we ask your gender when you join it's a safe space for us and a safe space for all the women on it so we do get quite personal so if you could answer the questions and the reason we ask your age is because it's really useful for us to know what life stage you're at when we're going to be putting content up we do have the website we are going to be producing content for you so we kind of need to know we're doing the right thing um although women of all ages are welcome yes so although it's a midlife group uh, we recently had a member who is 60 and she told us in her answer to the questions that she went through menopause in her 40s her doctor said uh, she wasn't and refused to prescribe hrt so she got osteoporosis due to the lack of hormones and took years of broken bones isn't that awful to be diagnosed and she's joined the group because she wants to support others younger women coming through who think they are going crazy because nobody tells you what it's really like yeah and also just as a a disclaimer we are not medical experts so if you want that kind of information you must talk to medical experts though we can probably direct you to the podcast where we have interviewed medical experts to give you what you need we also had a lovely 26 year old who joined because she wants to support her mum and her aunties going through their perimenopause and find out more about it herself isn't that brilliant It really is. We love it. And talking of women being supportive, which is what our postcards community is all about, our special guest today is best-selling author Josie Lloyd, who is going to be telling us all about the friendships and support network that got her through breast cancer and inspired her to write her new novel, The Cancer Ladies Running Club. Yes, and in How to Win at Midlife, our section after the interview, we're going to be talking about what we wear or don't wear in bed and um, our choice of nightwear to keep cool because that's quite important in midlife isn't it (laughs) and sleep better so Trish are you like Marilyn Monroe lying there with just a spritz of (laughs) Chanel number five Neil looking on wondering what's going on Margot Lying on your pillow. Oh, I know. It's all very luxurious. Well, you're just going to have to wait to find out about my bedtime routine. So let's crack on. Now, this week's jibber-jabber part of the show, where we have a discussion, was prompted by a surprising email we received from one of our loyal Postcards from Midlife fans. The email started well, you know, thanking us for getting our listener through her dreaded gym sessions and for all the up-to-date facts on breast cancer care that we had in that episode starring the Elizabeth Hurley. But the email took a bit of a turn, which led to me and Trish having quite a conversation because, as is usual, in the yin and yang of our 10 million year old relationship, (laughs) we had differing interpretations of the subject. So this is the bit of the email we untangled. Are you ready for this, Trish? Concentrate. I am concentrating. Here we go. So the email read, the main gist of my email is the topic of self-deprecation. It's a great tool to add humour to any situation or to be modest, but it is also something that can be genuinely damaging and unhealthy for our self-esteem. 
If Elizabeth Hurley told me I was looking exquisite and glowing, that's what she told me, Trish, isn't it? (laughs) Was it you, not me? me. Yes, what she said on the Zoom. Mm -hmm. I certainly wouldn't deflect the compliment and joke that it was a Zoom filter. I would wallow in the gorgeousness of that compliment. Perhaps this could be a topic for a future podcast. Well, firstly, I say thank you to Jo brackets lost in Devon as she signed off on her email for supplying us with such a meaty topic to discuss because God knows we had run out of ideas this week (laughs) (laughs) and also thank you for reminding us that what we say here can be interpreted Mm. in many different ways especially when it comes to women and humor Mm. and now I've done my research on the topic of self-deprecation I can tell you that the humor element of what is going on is absolutely crucial to any discussion on the psychology of female self-deprecation. I really enjoyed researching this between writing my Sunday Times bestseller. <laughs> did you see what I did there? What's that so, There's a difference. No, no. So this is the opposite of self-deprecation. Okay. But I made you laugh. You did. And shall, shall I tell you why I use humour? Mm-hmm. Um, it's because of something that happened back in the day. And when I say back in the day, I mean all the way back to Stone Age times. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about childhood. You mean actual Stone Age times, do you? You're not just being self deprecating yes. about no. how old we are, I hope. No, I'm a bit younger than you. Oh, but there you go. Anyway, yeah. so what I mean is that in Stone Age times, mm. cavemen would go hunting and women would be left to do everything themselves as a female tribe. So the theory is that self-deprecating behaviour, which is shown to be Mm. more prevalent among women, is actually a survival tactic. So if you are in survival mode in Stone Age times, you need all of your tribe to be on your side. So the men were in hunt mode, which was more solo, apparently. But to get those women on your side, they all have to feel they're on the same level to you. They all have to feel equal and not what the scientists call the tool poppy there should never be a tall poppy in an all-female mm. tribe according to this theory so to be liked as part of a team of a women we have become innately conditioned to be less vocal about being better than other women mm. um, d- we want women to have our backs basically so they need to feel equal to us and as we've modernized as a society and as women are not in the corridors of powers where they should be i mean only seven percent of ceos are women today the few women who make it to the top are still relying on this this underlying pattern this conditioning that we seem to have been through of self-deprecating humor which men Mm -hmm. do not have they don't have that conditioning they're not self-deprecating so when we talk about Mm -hmm. it in corridors of power where there are more men than women they don't really know what we're talking about they just see us saying Mm -hmm. we're rubbish so that's where it's damaging so where does the humor come in then well i'm about to get to that trish because jill witty collins who you and i know quite well Mm -hmm. who was a bastion of the beauty industry has written a really brilliant book about how women behave in the modern world and it's called why men win at work and she says research shows we may use humor as part of our self-deprecation to appear modest and humble which is fine among Mm. us but that's why we use it we're too frightened to show our confidence about whatever we're talking about. So Joe, lost in Devon, originator of our email, self-deprecation can be a subconscious sign of poor self-esteem or low confidence because we're using it with humour to mask our fears. So that's the worry. But you don't suffer from that, do you? You're pretty good at saying how well you've done in most situations. Yes, and this is where it gets really interesting, Joe, lost in Devon, because I don't use self-deprecating language to belittle any of my achievements. And when mm-hmm. people compliment me, I will usually say thank you and 
take the compliment because, you know, I am a genius, <laughs> Trish. Um, but I am still falling into a trap here, which is yes. good that Joe pointed out, because what I'm doing is making my confidence palatable to mm. everyone else by using mm-hmm. humour, because super confidence can be a little threatening to other women. So um, interestingly, I would never use that kind of humour if I was in a room with men. Men just don't joke about failing. It would be seen as a vulnerability. Yeah. I don't see vulnerability as a weakness. I'm not really worried about people knowing I've failed or ballsed up or made mistakes. Um, and that's fine for me. Mm. So it really is how you use it. So Joe is absolutely right. It's you it's how you use your self-deprecating humor. Yes. And when you use it and the room that you're in. You have to be really aware of it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. How does it work for you, Trish? Well, I think I am a self-deprecator. You know. I will say things like, oh, I might be wrong about this, but, or does that make sense? You know, at the end of when I'm sort of talking about things or explaining things, you know, often in a, in a work scenario. And another thing I do, I've noticed now that I've started thinking about this is that if I'm telling a story about something that I've done somewhere I've been, I kind of tend to focus on the thing that went wrong because it's almost like I don't want to say, oh, this, you know, went on this marvellous trip and it was really, really good. I'll tell you the kind of thing that went wrong rather than the, the rest of it. It's almost kind of and downplaying isn't it and downplaying compliments and you know as well as your stone age theory there's a there's another theory as well I think that it's about it can kind of depend on the environment that you were raised in because if you were yeah. in, raised somewhere where flaws were not acceptable and perfection had to be attained at all costs you know you're going to have increased anxiety about approval and acceptance from others and rather it's much better to make someone laugh than be told off for not being good enough kind of thing so I think we can be Mm. you know we can feel on on the back foot with that so you know and there is a difference isn't there between modesty and self-deprecation because modesty is about admitting that there are some things you're not good at while accepting those are balanced out by things you are good at so I think what I'm going to start doing is just trying to break the habit, kind of trying to kind of tune in and be aware of when I'm doing it or yeah. when I'm about to do it and not do it. Because it is, it's also that thing, it ties into the thing of where we're just overly harsh on ourselves, aren't we? We need to be kind to ourselves. And it's that, well, would I say this to a friend or, you know, when a friend says it or does it, does it annoy you when I do it, Lorraine, if I'm a bit self-deprecating? Yes, because I get quite cross with women not owning mm. their own success. Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. pretty cross that actually I've just found out that I use the humour to make confidence palatable to people. Mm. I mean, you, we should be able to be confident, yeah. shouldn't we? We should be able to say we've done something well or we've done something badly, you know, yeah. without trying to – I mean, I'm always up for a quick, cheap laugh. Obviously, that's <laughs> part of my nature. But sure. if, if yeah. understand, we've got to teach our girls to take mm. compliments as well, haven't we? I think there's yeah. a difference between laughing at yourself and belittling yourself. So yes. language is yeah. really important around exactly. self-deprecation. It's basically – quite a dangerous tool to be in charge of. Mm. I mean, I was just stating a fact about the Zoom filter, really. Um, but if you don't know me, yeah, you would think I was being self-deprecating. Yeah. So we need to be aware, don't we, how women yeah. are using it. Exactly. You use it in a slightly different way from me. And I do wish that you wouldn't start with the negative. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, there's nothing wrong with enjoying being successful yeah. at something. This culture yeah. of thinking we're showing off. Men do it all the time. They state their yeah. achievements quite clearly they never use humor to belittle themselves ever so it's just you know if you're in a room with a lot of men as we mostly are in big corporations now and there's a lot of linguistics around it and the way Mm. women are interrupted in meetings so it's really important to kind of know the context of it and the consequences of using self-deprecation well it's hard enough as it is isn't it so without a bit of self-sabotage let's end the self-sabotage now stop it now Mm -hmm. 
Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This week's special guest is the author of 15 best-selling books and one half of the literary duo that wrote Come Together the seminal book on singletons in the 1990s. It's time to meet Josie Lloyd, who is 52 and a mum to three daughters aged 20, 17 and 14, and is married to writer Emlyn Rees. Four years ago, Josie hit a crossroads in life. Aged 47, she was diagnosed with breast cancer after a routine scan. It turned her world upside down. But after journaling her midlife experience, she used her diary as the basis for a new novel, The Cancer Ladies Running Club. So how do you recover from a breast cancer diagnosis and who do you rely on to get you through those tough times? Josie Lloyd is here to tell us. So welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Josie. Oh, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm a big fan. (laughs) We're perplexed that people listen, quite frankly, but it is lovely (laughs) to have you here. And we're going to dive right in to the kind of important bit to chat about. So in 2017, you're just leading your life normally, as we all do, mums, midlife, and you get diagnosed with breast cancer. So everything going swimmingly well up until that point. And this is news that I think just it's such a thing to struggle with. Can you tell me exactly what happened? Well, several things have happened. First of all, my mother-in-law and my mother had died six weeks apart oh. at the end of 2015. And it was an incredibly stressful period and I got back to Brighton in 2016 and I was like oh I really really need to just medicate with white wine you know get mm-hmm. through it make things yeah. normal for my three three girls and so I think that was the start of actually when I became unwell because I hadn't really dealt with the stress of it all and I was kind of fine I was really really busy working book deadlines three kids big house big social life doing all that I noticed a tiny dimple appear in the bottom of my left breast but it was tiny tiny weeniest dimple and you could only see it when I took my bra off and because yeah. I'd been to the doctor about it twice and they'd had a good wrinkle around and said no nothing can't can't see anything nothing to worry about and then I happened to be called by the park clinic here in in Brighton they were doing a trial to test women under 50 said would you like to come along for an entirely voluntary mammogram because you know you're under 50 and we're just doing seeing if any women want to come and Emma said you know might as well go because you know it'll set your mind at rest about the little dimple and so off I go and I 
I honestly nearly didn't go because it was Christmas. I was really busy. I had my sister's 50th coming up. I had all the family coming for Christmas. So I go to the clinic and I say to the woman, I've been a bit worried about this dimple. She said, well, nine times out of 10, it's completely fine. But any change in your breast tissue, and this sort of is very important for the listeners, any small, the smallest change that you see in your breast tissue, get it checked out. So she said, I'll, I'll call you back as a matter of course. So I go back on the 3rd of January. I am still half woman, half Prosecco, <laughs> you know, and I've got New Year's resolutions springing out of my <laughs> lifts everywhere. I'm going to be fit. I'm going to be healthy. I'm going to be thin. I'm going to blah, 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 blah. Anyway, then I realised I'm in the quiet room and I am being told that there's unusual breast tissue and I have a biopsy. And I said, well, tell me what it is. And she said, I can't tell you until we know the results of the test, which is going to be a week. And I said, please tell me, I just want to know. And she says, well, it looks very much like cancer to me, Mm. which was just like, you know, this terrible moment. And of course I couldn't tell anyone, couldn't tell the kids, couldn't tell anyone, told Emlyn and we were like completely shell-shocked. And of course I'm being dramatic author. I've convinced myself I'm going to die by that point. I'm, you know, I've (laughs) I'm riddled, Mm -hmm. I'm going to die within the fortnight. It's such a shock, but it it brings you face up with your own mortality. And it's a massive, massive thing to get your head around. So yeah, it was a massive shock. And that is what happened. And then suddenly you're on the breast cancer train, which is a very Mm -hmm. fast, very slick train, but you're then involved in appointments. There was a mastectomy booked, six rounds of chemo, 20 rounds of radiotherapy, and then tamoxifen, boom, you're out. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously you're in shock. How do you go about telling your children, your family, other people? Some people prefer to keep it incredibly private and we've heard of celebrities recently who who, yeah, who haven't and then other people choose to want to talk about it but obviously you have to tell your children did you feel like you had to tell them yeah um I couldn't keep it from them you know we had this week of keeping it to ourselves and then we had to tell them the most difficult thing to cope with was this enormous labeling that I felt mm. that I was suddenly you know, here I am, a woman in my prime, I've got the kids, I'm, I think I'm on the top of my game, everything's going well, but suddenly none of those things that I define myself by matter. I am just, usually she's got cancer, you know, mm. and I felt that labelling very, very keenly. So I didn't like telling people, but I had to tell my kids. So we went to the clinic and on the way back from the clinic, I said, go tell Lula, and she was 16 at the time. And so we'd lied to her because Emily and my husband and I would do, we write quite a lot together. And we'd, we'd lied and said that we were going to Waterstones to a book, a book meeting. And so we came back and we said, oh, babe, can we have a word? And she said, uh, what is it? You know, totally in her own head, solipsistic you know, 16 year old. And Emma says, oh, well, we didn't go to Waterstones. We actually just, we went to the clinic and mum has some news. And she looked at me, she went, oh my God, you're not pregnant, are you? (laughs) I was like, no, no, actually, no, no, not that kind of clinic. And then it was really difficult for them because you have to say these words and it's, Mm. it's a very, very hard thing to say. But actually, as I was saying the words to her, I realised very quickly and very early on that it wasn't the worst thing that could happen. Although it was a massive trauma to me, right? Mm-hmm. I really realised it hadn't happened to her. Mm-hmm. It hadn't happened to any of my other children. It hadn't happened when I was trying to breastfeed her. I was a woman approaching 50 and yes, nobody wants to lose their breasts. But as breasts go, you give them yeah. great service 
I realised that actually I had to be really strong in that situation and make it very clear that we were going to be fine, there were going to be some tough times and we'd get through it together as a family. Relentless positivity. That's quite a theme of everything that you do, actually, in the, in the book, this kind of upbeat positivity. And that's the theme of your new novel. It's a very witty read, but it's about kind of finding your tribe, isn't it? Because you, you journaled your experience um, and you found as you went through what you were going through, you needed the women you love around you supporting you. And midlife is kind of about that as well. We all need our tribe. Who are the women in your tribe? Well, there's old friends. You know, there's friends that I've known for 20, 30 plus years. Those people were the people who made me feel normal. They made me remember that I'm me. There were neighbours, people that, that are in your kind of immediate community who kind of do the stuff on the ground, you know, that actually help you with the practical details. For me, I really found a new tribe, just like you are when you're a new mum and you go to an NCT class, you know, I found this new tribe quite by chance because Roz, one of the mums at the school gate, she said, well, you know, must keep fit. It's really important when you go through cancer treatment to keep fit. And that was not my instinct. I thought I'm going to go under the duvet with the chocolate biscuits, actually. <laughs> and she's, yes. you know, because everybody's wrapping you in cotton wool. And I was like, oh, you've got to be careful. And my instinct was not to get fit. It was not, it was just to kind of hide myself away. And she said, no, 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 they're building gyms in oncology departments in Australia. There's a lot Australia, of evidence yeah. to show that actually if you exercise through your chemotherapy and through all your treatment you will have a much better outcome come down to the seafront brighton where i live to meet this group of women who've all been through treatment so i met this group of women and they were like all about infected ports and grizzly bits oh gosh hair loss but they were funny and they were irreverent i love that that we could laugh about it and quite honestly you know that whole thing of putting trainers on and getting out into the sunshine and being in nature just felt like a great big two fingers to cancer in a very empowering way. So mm-hmm. we ran regularly together and they sort of became my tribe. You've talked and written about the, the kind of kindness and comfort of strangers that you discovered as well. I mean, obviously, this is a group of women who were strangers who became your, your friendship group and support network, but also strangers. You tell this lovely story about this butterfly necklace that was given yeah. to you. I joined this running group. We were going down every week to the seafront. And then one day there's this guy from the local press and he says, oh, it's so great you're running the Brighton Marathon 10K. And I go, Roz, the what? Didn't yeah. <laughs> I tell you this is the Brighton Marathon 10K training group? And I was like, no, you actually admitted to tell me that. But it was just before my third chemo and I was running bald, very hot. And very soon I was slowing down, just thinking, what am I doing? Why am I running this race? What on earth possessed me? And then the most lovely thing happened. So all these women in various different cancer charity vests ran past me and tapped me on the shoulder and went, I'm clear three years, keep going. I'm clear two years, keep going. I'm clear 10 years, keep going. Anyway, so this woman then fell into step with me in the water station and she was just beautiful, glossy hair. And she said, I had stage four cancer. They thought I was a goner. I ran all the way through my treatment and look at me now. Just the motivation that I needed. And I landed up going and finishing the race. And on the last turn, she'd waited for me and she sort of drew me out of the crowd and she said, I just I just want to have a chat with you. And I said, what is it? And she said, when I was at my lowest point, I was in a cafe by the hospital and this woman came up to me and said, I know exactly what you're going through. And I want you to know that your life is going to be better than ever the other side of cancer Mm -hmm. and had taken off 
a little butterfly necklace with a pen, little butterfly pendant and given it to this runner and said, this is a little butterfly of hope. And I want mm-hmm. you to wear it. And in time, you can pass it on. And this runner said to me, I've been wearing this necklace for three years. And now I've decided it's time to pass it on. And I'm passing it on to you. And it's now your little butterfly. Oh. And you've got to keep going and keep believing that your life is going to be brilliant. The other side of cancer. Mm-hmm. And we had this hug and a few cheers. And off she went. And I don't know who she is. I've been trying. But you've to never her. found her, have never you? Never found her. Oh. So it just gave me this incredible feeling that there were this massive solidarity of women out there mm. been through the same yeah. thing who know how to support each other and I thought I've got to write about this I've got to make this the kind of jump point of my book I really wanted to find a novel when I first got diagnosed about cancer I've been writing books for 25 years with happy endings mm-hmm. and I'm like where is a book that doesn't end with mm-hmm. a mom dying with tubes up her nose I want oh. to have a happy ending where is my happy ending mm-hmm. and this butterfly of hope kind of gave me this kind of feeling yeah hang on there can be a happy ending. look at these women they're all mm-hmm. amazing there's loads of women out the other side so I'm going to write a book about this so that was very much the mm-hmm. kind, of, kind of it and I've been wearing the necklace ever since and I'm very delighted that my friend Alice who runs Posh Dotty Design she's um, a jeweler here in Brighton she's making me little butterfly of hope necklaces to go with oh, the oh, nice. and it's with hope on the back and uh, so they're for sale which is great and all the proceeds go to the Sussex Cancer Fund brilliant what are the physical symptoms then of what you were going through and how can you remain fit and healthy at the same time because I'm assuming chemotherapy makes you feel very tired and very weak and just just explain what happened to you physically and how you managed to keep the fitness I had a mastectomy so the whole of my left breast and then it was chemotherapy so you start chemotherapy and it's an accumulative thing so what happens is that they give you steroids so you get fatter feel a bit rubbish and then for the first couple of days you feel just very heavy and a bit there and a bit sick the drugs are working through your body and then you go into a dip your white blood cells are being removed everything is being kind of rejigged and reset so you go into a dip and then you come out the other side and the the cycles I had were every three weeks so you felt rubbish for the first week then you kind of came out and then you came back up again so it depends Mm -hmm. whereabouts in the cycle you were as to how much physical exercise that you could do and some weeks I could only walk some weeks I could run very I mean and when I say running I'm not talking you know yeah. fitness running I'm talking jogging chatting mm-hmm. and jogging yeah I'm not <laughs> talking <laughs> not sprinting yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yes by the third cycle you then lose your hair pretty quickly so you lose just before my second cycle of chemotherapy I lost my hair which mm-hmm. was weird because- you've got this magnificent hair it's like yeah. a mane mm. of cur- I mean since I've known you you've always had this like big yeah. lovely hair that must have been emotionally pretty frightening though um what was weird was I was in the Delaunay having lunch with a friend right I had my turban on and my tuck-in fringe I cut my hair quite short and then I cut it a bit shorter in preparation for this to happen and (laughs) my head started itching and I just went like that nonchalantly as you do scratch your head and I went I went to the loo in the Delaunay and I undid my turban and I'm not joking, all of my hair had fallen. Oh, yes, gosh. Hair yeah. there. gosh. The yeah. whole wow. lot 
falling off. And I'm oh. standing there with this hair just everywhere. This poor cleaner. I don't know what. Somebody oh. must have thought there was just a massive roadkill accident. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so that was that was just really weird because it all falls out in one swoop. And then there were tufty bits. And then I got Emlyn to shave my head. Mm. Um, and the kids had a go as well, which was which was kind of empowering for them because I made a big joke out of it. And mm-hmm. it was weird to lose my hair, but then I kind of thought, well, I can rock bald. I can rock, mm-hmm. a, rock a pink wig. And it really rejigged how I felt about myself in a lot of really subtle ways, which I hadn't mm. noticed. So there's quite a lot of times when, mm-hmm. yes, I look back on those beautiful photos of those Meg Ryan corkscrew curly, curly hair, and I go, why did I ever look in the mirror and go, oh, my hair looks crap? Why did I ever say that? Why did I ever look in the mirror and have a go at myself for being fat or wrinkly or looking old yeah. or whatever? Why did I, why was I so self-critical? Mm-hmm. Actually, when you realise when all those things are taken away, no, actually, you are great and you're, you're lovely and your hair was beautiful. And if Aww. it comes back, I am going to embrace it. Yeah. Well, it has <laughs> come back. It's looking glorious. It looks glorious, <laughs> You were 47, weren't you? So you must have been in perimenopause at that point. How did that menopause, perimenopause, how did that work with your treatment? Did, or, or was it really put to one side because everything else was more overwhelming? No, well, it sort of came right up in my kind of grill very, very fast. I hadn't really known about the perimenopause. My generation, I'm in the same as you, our mothers yeah. never talked about the menopause. Mm. I didn't really know. I kind of nobody'd ever really talked about it. So I'd had the Morena coiling. So I hadn't had a period since I'd last had a baby. So I was for 10 years I'd been kind of period quite happy, not really taking much notice of mm-hmm. anything. And of course then um I had my cancer was estrogen positive cancer which means that my cancer cells were gobbling up estrogen Mm -hmm. which meant that after my treatment had finished I had to go into tamoxifen which is a Mm -hmm. drug it's an estrogen blocker which meant that I was crashed headfirst into the menopause and I couldn't take anything that would be an estrogen mimicker which is what Mm -hmm. a lot of the kind of things are so I had to to embrace it very fully and just go headfirst into it and it was quite a shock because mm-hmm. I'm suddenly hotter than the surface of the sun, night mm-hmm. flushes, all of that. Get on the yoga mat and I sound like a bag of bushel of twigs. Oh. Everything's like, oh. uh, everything dries up overnight. Mm-hmm. I had to get on the program and I found quite a lot of natural health things. Mm-hmm. My friend and acupuncturist, Joe Darling, she runs a company called Menopause now and she did a magnetic plaster which goes on the back of your neck yeah. on heat point which actually makes an enormous difference so to hot flushes so they mm-hmm. really oh, interesting. I, I took loads and loads of um supplements so lots of fish oil like a really big whacking great big multi mm. and kefir i'm a great believer in your gut flora being very essential yes. to your health so I've really worked on making sure that that is very good and my immune system is very good. Then you just have to really embrace it because after you've been through cancer, what is a hot mm-hmm. flush? It's a walk in the park, really, mm-hmm. all things considered. For me personally, I felt that part of it is that I'm really happy to be in a change. I'm very happy to be getting older because old age is the prize. Not looking less wrinkly, being old and fit and healthy and having gorgeous grandchildren that's the prize and I'm on the journey to that yeah as you don't live with any kind of fear or worry about it returning oh yeah of course you do you know this is 
very much part and parcel of what happens and it takes a while so when you first come out the other side what happens is that you then go through a period of mourning because the psychological impact of the cancer hits you there's a real sense of grief for mm-hmm. your health what you've been through and it takes quite a long time to trust your health again and people I know really struggle with that just believe that they're going to be okay because you know aches and pains happen and there's scar tissue and there's weird connections coming with your nervous system where you've mm-hmm. had scar tissue and stuff and you go oh, is it back is it back am I going to be okay and I had to really do quite a lot of work to come to a new understanding that I needed to live fear free and actually making a decision that as far as I'm concerned I'm going to be marching up mountains when I'm 90 Mm -hmm. that is my stance till somebody comes along and tells me that's not the case that's where I'm going with I wouldn't ever say that I was glad that the cancer happened but a lot of the aftermath of it I am really glad it happened because it gave me a massive shake-up in midlife Mm -hmm. and I realized that for 30 years I'd been really busy like Mm -hmm. really supersonically busy one of those kind of massive social life. If you want anything done, ask me, school committees, everything. I'm like, I'm Mrs. Busy. And I realised that what had happened was that at no point had I put my well-being mm-hmm. anywhere near even the bottom of my list, let alone the yeah. top of my list. And that was the biggest shock that cancer had happened on my watch. Yeah. So. Where is your well-being on your priority list now? Number Honestly, one. number one, it is. I make quite a lot of decisions to try not to jam too many things into my life and to make it too stressful and but I've realized that actually it's not about in an unsustainable diet it's not about unsustainable exercise regimes it's about Balance. little yeah. habits that you mm-hmm. do every day tiny little habits that work so for me my the biggest one that I do is a qigong practice every morning so mm-hmm. I get up And in my dressing gown, I do a a 15 minute Qigong practice, which is slow, meditative breathing with very simple movements. And it just gives me a chance to check in, Mm -hmm. scan my body and a little bit of time just for me to just see whether I'm well or not. or where, Mm -hmm. Where is the energy? What's going on? While you were doing all of this, this mountain of, you know, change and and fear and hope and all of that going through your parenting teenage girls yeah which is a whole different hormonal neurological thing how did you manage the kind of parenting versus the changes of your midlife and the cancer and your relationship so what was it like with the girls as they went started to go through their teenage while you were going through Um, this tricky bumpy uh Tallulah the big one any tips for people I think the thing is is that you have to a trust your teenagers and mm-hmm. and also allow them to be emotional i think it's really allowed for them to have all sorts of emotions and i've always told my girls your emotions are your internal weather so you will have cloudy days there will be mm-hmm. stormy days there will be rainy days there will be days where you have all of these emotions in one day the sun will always come out so mm-hmm. It's really okay to have a whole gamut of emotions and whether that's anger or fear, frustration or any of those things, they're all part of the great weather spectrum, which is Mm -hmm. all really healthy and fine. I mean, it was hurtful because Tallulah very much shut me out. She put a real kind of barrier down and shut me out. She didn't really want to be part of it or comfort me. And she's a very empathetic person. So that was quite tricksy to be slightly shut out, but I just had to kind of let her 
get on with it. For me, it was just very important that I kept it positive for them and that there were times when I was down and I was feeling ill to reassure them that it would pass. And you say about kind of afterwards and, you know, we were talking about the fear of of things coming back and you had to do some work to get over that. What resources did you use? Where where did you turn? Because you're starting from a kind of probably a position that most women wish they would be in in terms of your positivity and your attitude anyway. Quite a lot of it was kind of accepting that I could do a lot of the energy work myself so having having got into acupuncture to help Mm -hmm. with my menopausal and cancer related symptoms I realized that you can actually really change how your body feels through energy so that's all part of the qigong as well and I'm not kind of like a real massive healer or kind of self-healer but I do believe that what you say to yourself mentally does have Mm -hmm. quite a big impact and Mm -hmm. disease is dis-ease and actually you need to mentally be really on it and not just ignore your brain there was a reiki self-healing thing that i found when i was really poorly Mm -hmm. just sort of lay my hands on myself just imagine that i had energy was really helpful and there was a mantra at the end of that which is kind of quite 12 steps but i found very useful and and i say it every day so it's just for today so it's it's not putting out yourself under any pressure just for today i will not be angry Mm -hmm. just for today i will not worry just for today, I will count my many blessings. Mm-hmm. Just for today, I will do my work honestly. Just for today, I'll be kind to every living creature. And if you can mm-hmm. try and say those things, even if you don't really mean them, your brain resets. It's about trying to keep your mental health. Yeah, connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's the thing. And also to to be kind to myself and know that there are times when I'm not going to be feeling absolutely positive and absolutely great and that's okay too I think that's wonderful for all midlife women to do that (laughs) I mean you know just Mm -hmm. to tell yourself these things anyway generally in life as you're facing any kind of stress and pressure how did Emlyn deal with it then how did that affect your relationship he was just an absolute rock he was brilliant and he was cross with me because I wrote this husband Tom in the book really doesn't respond terribly well to Kira's cancer news but I also wanted to make that you know I've got so many stories and so many so much information from other people who've gone through it so I wanted to make Kira and Tom quite an every couple so they weren't like us you know they they didn't respond to it in the same way he was really really kind and Mm -hmm. at times incredibly worried it was difficult because we're confidants we know we've worked together we met each other and we started writing books together so our, our writing relationship was formed before we actually got together as a couple Mm -hmm. and since then the whole lockdown thing happened recently and we were like we've been doing this for 25 years you know we've Mm -hmm. been living and working together at home 24 7 for all this time we've got this this is our back you know this is how Mm -hmm. we do it but one of you being poorly changes all that because everything has been very equal and there were bits that he just couldn't help me with and the bits that he was feeling that I couldn't really help him with because when he was feeling worried and sad and upset and anxious I couldn't I couldn't really comfort him because he was mm-hmm. worried and upset and anxious about the state of my house. So it was tricky. And I would say that any relationship, even the strongest of relationships, are completely challenged by anybody going through cancer treatment or any kind of big mm-hmm. traumatic life event. Everybody gets challenged and you have to kind of find a way of muddling through together. So the book is out now. You're a prolific writer. You write on your own. You write with Emlyn. Are, are you slowing down? Have you got plans? Have you got your idea for your next book? Oh, yes. It's <laughs> um, yeah. No, it's actually, one of the things that I kind of realised when I went through this 
you know, you have this reset thing. What is it that I want to do for the second half of my life? Writing novels is kind of a very up and down thing. Some go, some don't. Financially, it's a bit all up and down, you know. Mm-hmm. We've just got used to that as a family. In fact, every time I finish a book, I get the kids to type the end, right? And every time I'm weeping and I've oh. got greasy hair and I'm like washed and I'm in horrible minging old tracksuit bottoms and I go, look at this, look at your mother. Do not be novelists. <laughs> anyway, but I'm compulsive about it. So I am writing the new one. The working title is called The Seagulls. And it's Ooh. about a plucky group of women who go sea swimming. And ah. I have got completely addicted because um, I always... Swim. It is addictive. I, I mean, I'm literally just down the road to the beach and I always swim in the summer, but then I just didn't stop all through lockdown and I swam all through the winter and I swam in the snow and I swam in the rain and I swam at dawn and I swam at sunset. I, I wanted to write what we've kind of gained during mm. these times of COVID, which is a real sense of community mm-hmm. and a really massive, massive appreciation of nature. And um, one of the things that I found that was really helpful with my menopause was somebody who told me that when you're a girl, you're tied to the moon cycles mm-hmm. and you're up there, you're with the moon. But when you reach the change and, and all of your periods stop, actually what you do is you come back down to land on Mother Earth. And you become much more in tune with the earth cycles and you become much more in tune with nature. And I found that an incredibly powerful Mm. thing to take forward. And I found it to be very true, to be very in touch with my environment and how much I love being in the water and how much I love being in nature. Yeah, so I'm writing about that. Because I am a sea swimmer of many years and it is about community and friendship. My little friend here, Trish, um, doesn't like the cold so much. She loves this nature hippie mm, chat. She likes the birds. The birds. Yeah, she's in a garden. But you've kind of tested all these lovely women in your group and out of your group and you and everything. What do you think is a good quality in a midlife friend? What What should we be looking for? Somebody with a sense of humour, definitely. Somebody who has got your, just somebody who will listen and understand and not take it all too seriously because actually what we quite often need to do is just vent and actually what you need your friends to be is the kind of rage to just Mm -hmm. take that you know when you're feeling cross and frustrated and angry and anxious and all of those things that we feel and you know the rage that they can take that and just set it aside let it drift away on the wind Mm -hmm. you you need somebody to help you process all those things yeah somebody that you can just be the whole rainbow of colors with brilliant oh well well, it's been so lovely thank you very much for coming on to postcards from midlife honestly delighted to be your guest and thank you keep up the good work girls So as much as we've been loving the warm, sunny weather, the heat is yet another thing that can play havoc with our sleep in midlife. As we've talked about before, the decline of oestrogen in perimenopause causes all sorts of symptoms that can disrupt sleep from hot flushes and sweats to anxiety and depressed mood, which makes you wake up in the night and early in the morning. And the last thing you feel is restored and refreshed by your night in bed. You just feel worse. So we thought in this week's How to Win at Midlife, we would share our bedtime routines and the things that help us to get a good night's kip. We don't have a joint bedtime routine though, Trish, because we don't sleep <laughs> in the same bed, do we? No, we don't. No. No, let's clear that. I don't that know your bedtime routine, so I'm, I'm quite uh, pleased to, uh, to be hearing it for the first time. Well, brace yourself. So first and foremost, I started taking HRT about two years ago. So this means hugely improved sleep because don't have the night sweats, which were 
really awful mm-hmm. for me. But also I take Eutrogestan progesterone tablets every mm-hmm. single night. Obviously that stops your periods completely, which is wonderful, but it also, re- they really do help you sleep. I mean, they mm-hmm. feel slightly sedative in nature. That's certainly how it has been for me. I also take magnesium, which really made a difference mm-hmm. to my sleeping quality as well. So what I do do you want to know what I do? I want the all the details, please. The bedtime routine. I Apart don't have any saucy that stuff. Saucy. What is this? <laughs> We're back on your Benny Hill situation again. There's no saucy no stuff sauce. that I shall be airing mm-hmm. here. And I don't have that pillow down the middle of the bed. Like no, like the barricade. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll um, I that. like to go to bed early because I am a morning person so I go to bed early I like to have windows open mm-hmm. and I don't really like to wear nightwear Trish <gasps> you're the nude sleeper I'm a bit of a nude sleeper or oh. I do actually wear underwear and a vest because I don't want to traumatize any of my four children particularly my son because yeah he what if you had to get up time. in the night for an emergency for me naked in the night quite frankly mm-hmm. I refuse to have a tv in the bedroom I don't yeah. have screens in Mm-hmm. I might check my phone sometimes, but I like to read my book and I now remove my makeup, which I never used to do. Finally. Seems very good. Yeah, finally. Mm-hmm. I have a little routine. What about you? Well, You've done a bit of research, you, though. Well, you I have, but I'll just situation. tell you my routine first, I think, night. just so we can compare. So I am used to be a nudie sleeper before the children many years ago and then just started wearing pyjamas because I couldn't face the shore. <laughs> of like getting up 50 million times a night and having to put a dressing gown on and all of that so I'm a silky pyjama person silky pyjamas and they're on my Christmas list every year that's what I get every year pair of silk pajamas and I wear them to death but they're lovely they're really nice like you I go to bed early watch the 10 o'clock news headlines Go and make a cup of chamomile, take the chamomile up to bed, oh my God. read, do my, do. do my beauty routine, t- pop my eugesterone, progesterone tablet, read, yeah, drink my chamomile, read my book, and go to sleep, have a very nice night's sleep. But obviously, it's a bit hot. <laughs> So it's been, uh, there are some things that you can do. It's a bit hot after about the age of 42. It is, exactly, in general. And then then you've got the hot weather as well. But did you know, so we actually never have the radiator on in our bedroom, even in the sort of plummeting cold depths of winter. We like a really cold bedroom. So, and actually the optimal temperature apparently for your bedroom should be, in order to doze off, around 16 to 18 degrees C, which is actually really quite cool. So, um, so that's worth thinking about. Now, unfortunately, my bedroom's got south-facing windows, actually, which is lovely because you get all the sun. But in the summer, it is scorching. So what we've been doing is you keep you have to keep the blinds shut in the day or the curtains shut in the day to keep out the sun. And then in the evening, open them up and open the windows. If you've got sash windows, you need to make sure they're open in the middle. So you've got air at the top and air at the bottom. So it circulates. This is what Neil tells me anyway, circulating air. Or you could get a fan, which is quite nice. Do you have a fan? You don't need a fan. I've got loads of fans. You've got... <laughs> oh, you mean a fan. A fan. Yeah, exactly. Well, I did that. Apparently, if you put... You can put a bowl of iced water in front of the fan and it will be Who's got cooler. time to do that? Well, I think desperate times call for desperate measures. If you're flushing away and sweating away, I think getting a little bowl of iced water in front I of the would, fan could be an do option. Do not have Margot's face shoved in that? Would oh, she no, not she's not allowed. You know she's not allowed. This is why I can't have my windows open in the night because she'll come oh, around the back like of the house that, and yeah. climb up and get in that way <laughs> so we have to have everything shut which is why all these kind of cold measure I things are important to me put your hot water bottle fill it up with water pop it in the freezer 
and then put it in your bed before you go to bed. That makes it nice and cold. That's quite what? good, isn't it? Yes. May I just ask who in 2021 has an actual hot water bottle? Well, I do because my bedroom's so freezing in the winter. It's a Victorian <laughs> item. <laughs> I like them cosy. I think, don't your girls have them for period pains, that kind of thing. So cool shower, obviously, before you go to bed. Lights and appliances. If you have got TVs and laptops and things, that they all generate heat. So that is going Throw to be pumping more oh, no. heat into your room. Turn them off. You could cool a pillowcase by popping it in the fridge. Think, don't be silly. <laughs> I, I just, I, honestly, I'm going to do all of these things. But you can also get these new... Have you seen these cooling pillows that are available to by they're no, kind of filled with these sort of reactive gels and things like that that help cool your skin and oh. there's one called cali cooling pillow for 39.99 available from calisleep.com which everybody seems to be raving about so if you get a bit of a hot right. neck apparently they do them for snoring as well that's quite good isn't it i like that oh. and it, and also you can get a cooling put them over your face and it stops you snoring <laughs> yeah, put it over and your face exactly and a cooling mattress topper so again you get you know if you, you don't want to buy that's a new mattress but the panda do one called the topper and a double is about 130 9.95 and you simply you pop it on top of your mattress again and it's kind of very breathable because it's got this latex gel infused foam that absorbs the heat i like you talking about latex <laughs> in a conversation about sleep there trish now do you know what's really bad for sleep Margo, especially yeah. in the hot weather another person's oh body heat <laughs> in the bed <laughs> Next to you, because that's just generating heat mm, yeah, all, the exactly. night, all the night. Sending it your it's way. Quick way of guaranteeing an argument in the morning. But is there anything one can wear that will cool me down yes. in the night? Well, that's the thing. If you sweat in the night due to flashes, night sweats, or hot weather, the problem is well, obviously, the overheating is going to wake you up, but then sweat cools really quickly and then you get really chilly your body's all over the place with this this temperature thing and so there are some brands that have developed ranges specifically for menopausal women there's a swedish brand called dag i'm not going to pronounce this properly dagsmijan which is kind of like little shorts and t-shirt sets quite expensive around 65 pounds for a shorts and t-shirt set but it's got this like trademark fabric that's supposed to be softer than silk cooler than linen and better moisture management than cotton because the the thing is you need it to evaporate the you know the the kind of any sort yeah. of sweat and heat you need it to go as quickly I wish as you can the listeners could see you waving your arms all over the place <laughs> it's brilliant yes i'm doing sort of evaporating i'm doing little shower signs with my fingers and things it's quite carry on it's like a gym children's nursery yes. class yeah. there's also becomeclothing.com which has nightwear underwear t-shirts with anti-flush technology <laughs> fabric so it's uh, and not just is around 45 pounds very plain definitely function over form and style but i think if you really are struggling i think it's probably because actually wearing something is better than not wearing something so even cotton interesting is better, apparently, if you're cottoned all of that cotton linen are better than wearing nothing at all because natural fabrics will absorb any perspiration and obviously there's lots everywhere does Great. nice cotton jammies but at the top end there's lovely a lovely new brand called honor or honor h-o-n-n-a and the website is honorlondon.com which has these really beautiful pajama sets lovely cotton ones from around 110 but cyber jammies and blue bella have you seen those they have really cyber nice jammies. sets for around 45 pounds so there's lots and lots of lovely options but it is worth just spending a little time thinking about it shoving a few things in the fridge and making sure that your cat's not in the room. Well, two things to say there. We yeah. did do an episode on insomnia, which might actually be very helpful with yes. um, Catherine Pinkham. So have a look there. Are you going to put that cat in the fridge? <laughs> 
well, she'd been in the tumble dryer and the dishwasher, so she might quite yeah. like a little go in another electrical appliance. Cool one. Let's do that. She might sleep better, Trish. She might. Okay, young Trish. We are here. Nostalgia mm. noodle. Mm. You know I like this bit. <laughs> Come on, tell me. Back in time, where have you been? Wow, it's a bit of a bit of a, a sort of health risk one. <laughs> I think because of the hot weather, I was thinking about tanning and tanning beds, and I was thinking about how religiously I slap on the fact of 50 now, and how in the 90s I wouldn't think anything of <laughs> popping into a tanning bed on the way home from work, popping a coin yep. in the little slot machine, and getting on all those one of those things, and basically frying sweating myself, to death, sweating to death. Yeah. I mean, they were everywhere in the 90s, weren't they? Like at the gym, everywhere you went. Yeah. It was just so normal to use it. But did you know, like 20 minutes was the equivalent of spending three hours a day at the beach with no sun protection yeah. on at all. I mean, I know it's shocking. Even, it? And nobody tell things nobody tell us, you know, the amount of radiation. And, you know, it's no surprise then that in the kind of 2010s, there was this massive surge in women yeah. having melanomas. <laughs> just like, uh, what I'm wondering, though, is what do we do now that in mm, oh, 30 yes. years time, what they're going the to be saying to us? Yes, exactly. And it was avocados also, are probably poisonous. Oh, don't say they? that. Avocado and sourdough. <laughs> imagine 18 gallons of avocado <laughs> yeah. we're going to find out aren't we that it'd be worse than smoking eating yeah. avocado and do you know it was only in 2010 that there was a, an act brought in that to stop making it illegal for tanning salons to allow children to use them so children under oh, 18s goodness. could use them up until 2010 <laughs> shocking shocking right what about you well, I was slightly triggered this week to use mm. a very millennial phrase. Mm. Um, my son may have to have braces. Oh, yes. Got a bit of an overbite. The old It made me that when the lady said braces, I just started to get this cold sweat mm. because I remembered. I know you look at me now and you think, that woman's perfect. That's what you think. Nashes, pearly white. I had those massive train tracks. Oh, the train tracks. Yes. Throughout my teenage, Ooh. which um, is bad enough on the love life front. Also, I was quite tall for. Oh, I was this height at about twelve. Oh, so um, oh, I've been okay. like, with enormous and then it feet. Stop. Well. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I was this height, huge feet, big braces mm. but i just remembered in the late 80s how unbelievably painful those mm. train track braces were because you had to tighten, tighten them. them i remember sitting yes. in lessons with gigantic headaches because they were so tight i mean mm. i didn't eat an apple or anything crunchy for about Aww. two years <laughs> should i tell you why i had to have braces go on and Did rely you... on the nasa technology oh. which made is, the braces do you have an overbite the, like is, is no. old henry no you haven't no, given him that. No. What was it? What was it? Medical anomaly. I am. I had three sets of teeth. Trish. Oh, don't! <gasps> I did not know that. What do you mean you had three sets of teeth? Yeah. What? What does Another that even mean? Like a shark. Yeah. Another <laughs> set came out in the roof of my mouth, pushing all my oh. teeth forward. So I had to have Weird. them taken out. It's a good story. Taken out oh. in hospital oh. in Truro. Yeah. And you would think. Good God, would there be an orthodentist in Truro? <laughs> but at that moment in that time, time, by a strange sliding doors, mm. quirk of 
wait, there was an American visiting him who was a leading specialist in his field. And he said, I would like to do that because I've done it lots of times in America. I mean, it's not the kind of dental work. It's not the kind of thing. 1980s Cornish Hospital dental work. You'd think I'd come out (laughs) looking like Frankenstein. (laughs) Oh, 1980s Cornish Hospital. But no, he was amazing. And every time I go to the dentist, yeah. People now say, who did this? It's fantastic. <laughs> wow. So they know they can tell what happened. How yeah, can they I can ask tell, a yeah. gruesome question? How many teeth do they have to take out from your roof of your mouth? I, all of them. The whole set. What, whole I set? Have, I have, yeah, I have the, you know, these incisors, Doc, I'm yeah. listeners, this is no good, uh, that you've got here. I don't yeah. have them. I had them taken out so they could pull the gap back. Oh, so my grief. dental work had to be really tight, those um, yes. things, which is good because I've got an extremely high pain threshold, isn't very it? Very good, very fire. good. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, nasty little trip back into Yes, for both of us. Orthodontist <laughs> world. Yeah. Yes, and skin cancer, <laughs> lovely. Or Barrack. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Postcards from Midlife. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it, please do tell your friends and all the midlife women you know. And remember to subscribe on your podcast provider and rate and review us too. And please download your episodes so they count on our listener numbers because that is really helpful for us. And don't forget to join our very interactive and engaged Facebook group or join us on Instagram. Or you can email us directly at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com. Goodbye. Goodbye. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.